Hello, my name is Anoa Changa. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Way with Anoa. Hi, Facebook. We're back. We got our restream working. We're streaming finally again on Facebook and on YouTube. Really exciting because, oh, my girl is here tonight. Um, just want to show off my hubris shirt, you know, hubris. Um, you guys probably remember I made one of these right after the election. Hubris is like my favorite word. Um, I made one of these after the election, and there is a local t-shirt vendor um, down here in Atlanta who made this one for me. I think my next one's going to say Petty. Uh, I think I'm going to probably get one a month uh, 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 to add to spice it up a little bit. Um, shout out to the patrons, because I can't remember, because things have been moving so fast. There's so much going on. Um, I can't remember. I know I know some of you I've told personally, thank you, but I don't know if the most recent patrons for March, I've gotten to you all. So um brian aaron chuck bodiano shout out to my boy chuck chuck was on the show and then like the next day he became a patron of the way love you dearly brother thank you for all you do um dan grant lisa um penultimate tommy thank you appreciate you guys seriously because you know the the the, the, the patrons you guys make it possible for me to stay and do what i do for for david to be able to do this and we're now getting to a point where I can start giving David, David a stipend and hopefully the stipend that I give David can grow as we get more patrons and be able to support the way. So support good people doing good work. Yeah, us. Thank you. Um, shout out to the rest of Progressive Army. So much going on in the world today. Um, and I got an awesome guest. So I'm going to go through a, a few quick news items and then we'll get right into this conversation with, um, with Tunde. Uh, so one of the things that, that came up um, you know, there were a lot of like blasts and stuff. Everybody's been trying to mobilize around different house bills and get people to call the representatives and tell them to vote no or tell them to vote yes. So one of the things that was a very, very narrow loss, like last week we saw, you know, Trump care, well, first round Trump care, Ryan care, because now the Republicans claim they have a plan B. They're going to, you know, they're going to go for it again. Um, but one of the things, and shout out again to Chuck Modiano, um, he, he posted earlier, he's like most negative consequential story this week will get lost in all the Trumpism. And, and, and I absolutely agree. Um, uh, Dr. Q, who works with us here at Progressive Army, who writes for us, she wrote a piece earlier yesterday about the, um, the, the broadband policy rules repeal that happened yesterday. These were Obama-era Obama protections that were set to go into effect that now will no longer go into effect. And basically the way the rules, way this resolution was written, it can't be proposed again. Um, whether that's actually permissible and there's not a workaround around it, you know, in a future congressional session that remains to be seen, but at least for now. So what this does is the fact that um, it was passed basically along party lines in the Senate. It was a very narrow vote. I think it was 215 to 205 in the House yesterday. Um, Basically, the, the House voted to rescind rules that would prohibit uh, Internet service providers from being able to sell your information without permission. So as it stands now, um, everything they collect on us and, and the 
argument is that the FCC, those that are regulated by the FCC, are at a disadvantage compared to your Google, to your Facebook, who apparently do collect all our data and sell it, alleged, presume, you know, based on the arguments made. Um, so, so that was something, and it was really interesting when you look at maybe some of the traditional groups that we would think would support people's rights in this effort. Um, you know, there were some pieces in the intercepts about civil rights groups actually standing on the wrong side of the net neutrality conversation and in terms of this broadband privacy repeal. So that was one thing that happened that, that all this focus on resisting Trump and resistance and or how stupid Trump is or what he did or didn't do, it really actually does overshadow um, other issues that are going on in other works. So we got to, you know, yes, we got to call it out. Yes, we got to address things that happen. But at the same time, we need to pay attention and engaging on what's happening that actually directly, you know, affects us. Um, the next, there was another piece um, that I read earlier, actually was in Ebony, um, from Kristen Clark, who is a attorney with the Lawyers Committee um, for Civil Rights Under Law. And it was just talking about how voter suppression is still hiding out in rural areas. So while we have all this hoopla going on about election interference and Russia, et cetera, whether that is legitimate or not still yet remains to be seen. But what we do know is that we continue to have voter suppression, repressive policies and practices, not just in the rural, not just in the South or in rural areas. I mean, really it happens. We've, we've seen it happen in so many places. I mean, we saw the issues with broken machines and stuff in, in, in Michigan um, during the last election cycle. We've seen the issues in North Carolina. Wisconsin is certainly not Southern. Um, there, might, there are some rural areas, but it's certainly not Southern and has plethora of issues, right? So, um, so, 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 so Kristen Clark talks about um, just how voter suppression and like what happens when protections are not enforced. And we really do need to start having a, a recommitment, a refocusing on protecting voter rights, protective voting engagement, encouraging, engaging, and building with people to build out um, a stronger, uh, not just turnout for elections and particular candidates, the real sustainable community change and development, it's not going to happen because we have some really good person at the top of the ticket this one cycle. We've already seen, you know, with all the hope and change and rhetoric around Obama in 2008, without some actual maintaining organizational function, which OFA ideally would have been, um, that kind of waned, right? There, there isn't that built-in accountability measure. There isn't that built-in community engagement matter. Of course, there's plenty of groups who work and engage locally but we really need to have a re-emphasis and a re-engagement of people on those levels. And that will also give an impetus and support for, for, for programs of voter addressing voter oppression and um, voter suppression nationwide. Um, so what I just saw when I was getting ready to come on is the fact that Arkansas uh, switching topics a little bit, talking about what we need to be focusing on in the state level, you know, because we have spent so much time being so hyper-focused on congressional elections and focused on presidential elections in the past several years, we, we, we've we lost sight of the map. You know, we have governors, we have state houses that are really doing atrocious things and passing really crazy laws. So one of the things that just happened in Arkansas, now Arkansas is one of these places that decides that, hey, you know what, abort, you know, it's, they, they're going to be pro-life, they're going to gut abortion every which way because they're protecting uh, 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 future babies uh, for issues that aren't necessarily real issues to address. So, um, uh, so Arkansas is basically requiring doctors to investigate um, pregnant women and well, well, investigate basically people's medical histories and stuff before they're allowed to proceed with an abortion. Um, this is rather invasive in, in many different ways. 
um, pretty much you have to provide at least a partial or what is considered partial, I guess we'll, we'll see. But allegedly, this is a part of an effort to prevent what they're calling se sex selection abortions. When people choose to abort a fetus because it's not the sex they want. Now, this is not really a practice that actually happens in the United States of America. Like, we, we don't really have people aborting fetuses because they find out it's a girl or whatever, right? Like, most abortions are happening before the sex is even identified. So here we have, yet again, a bill that is going to have unintended or possibly intended consequences of the restriction of, of, of life, of, of access, of, uh, of accessing a right. Um, for this, 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 this supposed, you know, atrocity that is supposed to, 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 to be preventing that doesn't even, that's, that's non-existent basically. Um, so what it is though, is that if they do an abortion, right, they're going to perform abortion and the doctors are now required to ask women before the abortion, if they want to know the sex of the baby, if they say yes, they need to then know the medical history and the entire history of prior pregnancies. Um, and, and, and that way they can determine whether or not, um, you know, women are getting abortions because they're not getting the baby they want. Like, like this is not like, like, like shoes, right? This isn't like you ordered shoes online, you're not getting the pair of shoes exactly the way you want it, so you keep taking it back to the store. Or, you know, when you're a little kid and you want a toy out of a out of a Happy Meal and you have your parents keep taking you back to get another and another to get the one you want. Like, that's not how this works, right? Um, you know, women who are having abortions, you know, having an abortion is already a very, uh, 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 very difficult process, whether it's something that people want or not, whether it's, you know, I mean, there's so much complexity that goes into it. So just, just looking at the way this is being reduced down is, is, is highly problematic. Um, the Center for Reproductive Rights says that Arkansas is actually the first state to require such an investigation. Um, and what it is, is basically, so if you do want to know the sex, sex of the baby before you get the sex of a fetus, before you get a abortion, you're then required to, to do this medical history request. And you cannot get the abortion until the reasonable time and effort is spent to obtain the history. Now, what is considered a reasonable time and effort is also up to determination and really could be an effort to frustrate the process of being able to get an abortion to otherwise prevent an issue that's not really an issue in this country or most modern countries at all. I mean, there are some places where this could be a concern. Um, you know, there, there have been some reports in years past out of China, you know, with regard to the one child rule and, and parents, you know, making determinations different ways, but, but that's, not, that's not an issue of consideration or concern here. So that was something else that I saw. Um, I think we might have, I might have lost my guess. So I'm going to jump around and then come back when she comes back on because this is going to be so much fun. Um, so I got to get petty for a second. My boy Cesar got put in Facebook jail. <laughs> Cesar Vargas, if you have, I mean, Cesar has been on with me before. Cesar is a writer, contributor, uh, content creator, artist, um, producer, all types of stuff. Cesar Vargas, not streamer JD Cesar, the other Cesar, um, was basically put in, in Facebook jail um, for calling out uh, attack on him by 
someone who pretty much fits the billing as a white supremacist. We've seen this pattern a lot. We've heard accounts of this stuff. Many of us have witnessed it or seen it. There's like online abuse has so become so rampant and pervasive in this movement way we've been in, not just since the election cycle, but this whole like, like ever since like there's really been this ramping up of engagement and dialogue and activism and organizing happening in these social media spaces. So has not just trolling and problematic concern trolling, but this really negative derogatory attacks like uh, Millennials for Bernie, which is run by uh, Lamita Ahmed and others, has actually been attacked numerous times. Coordinate. We, we know that this has happened. We're tracking the patterns. We're tracking the users. And, and, and Facebook, Twitter, these, these, these sites do nothing to combat and address the issues involved with these abuses and stuff, particularly oftentimes violations of the terms of service or community guidelines, whatever they referred to. And yet, and still, if you call out a white person for being, you know, a white supremacist or a white blah, 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 you will then get targeted, removed, and deleted for being the racist, right? And, and, and it's this exchange that, that Cesar had uh, with trying to resolve it, um, this, this exchange that Cesar had with trying to resolve the issue, um, I guess there was a comment made about reverse racism. And so he was explaining that reverse racism is not a real thing. Um, so so that, that that's a whole nother story. But I just wanted to pull up and just read, like Cesar had this thread and he just went off earlier because he's banned from Facebook, but he's on Twitter. So he was going off because we were looking for him because he he was he was spitting truth yesterday. Right. Folks, you know, will hold court in public and, and let the chips fall where they may. And then he's just like, you know, Facebook, if your platform is so inclusive and supposed safe space for engagement, why are bigots allowed to roam free but not advocates? That's a good question. You ban feminists activists, you ban gay activists, you ban black activists, you ban brown activists, you ban Muslim activists. Not only do you have a diversity hire problem, but you hire, but whites you hire are racist. It's, it gets old when, that your moderators are quick to put black advocates in the doghouse, but you leave up posts from white supremacists. That's a really good point. I've, this has happened to several different people. I've had people challenge you like, oh, well, it's just probably automate. Like, no, Facebook has admitted that they actually you know, have real people responding to these issues. But if you don't, if, if we're in this current climate that we're in right now with things that are going on, and these spaces are very hostile on, on, on social media, you don't have people who actually understand how to discern between what's going on. And there is a proliferation of, you know, people engaging in social justice work, whether they're people of color, whether they're white, you know, whatever the case may be, but engaging in these spaces, engaging this work, we are seeing overwhelmingly, you know, black and brown activists that this happens to, or, or just social media users that this is happening to, like, there's a problem. Because somebody was like, well, we all violate the terms of service at some point in time. That's probably true. But we do see a disproportionate, a, a, a real disproportionate representation in who is actually being challenged, uh, uh, removed, and, and, and silenced, right? And for so many people, digital media is the way that we're engaging. Now, Michael Salomon from Podcast Revolution would say, this is why we need to build out our own spaces away from the evil empire. Um, so I just had to give my boy Cesar a shout out because I was very disheartened to see that he was not on Facebook for me to, to, to talk with today. And um, 
you know, I, I share some of his videos and stuff. So if you if you have not liked his page on Facebook or you're not following him on Twitter, please go check him out. Um, because Cesar is awesome and, and he he brings such truth to the conversation. He really expands the dialogue as as Afro-Latino, as African Dominican, a, a, a black Dominican man. Um, and, and I love the way he represents and he goes hard all the time. That's definitely my brother. And hopefully uh Netroots will approve our panel and we'll be coming to a convention center live uh here in Atlanta uh this summer. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm excited because this sister that I'm about to bring on. <laughs> She inspires me, not just in my petty and my wit, <laughs> but just in everything all the way around. Like super proud of her from, you know, a startup blogger. She 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 writes in Ebony and a Chicago reader and elsewhere. Um, super awesome person. I'm going to introduce her now. <laughs> so my guest for tonight is Nefer Boom Kerr, <laughs> mother of dragons, queen of fire, <laughs> first of her name. Born protector of the realm, wielder of petty wit and charm, and professional edge snatcher. Sis, how are you doing? You forgot you forgot online troll slayer. Online troll slayer. Oh y'all, y'all. How are you? Hey, hey, I'm great. Um, you know, I'm honored to be on your show. I'm excited. Um but but I'm in a really good space. I'm, I'm in a really good space, and I feel good, especially tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, what they, that's, that's what they say before the petty says it. So Brandon and I actually started a show called The Petty Part Petty Party. Y'all check it out late Tuesday nights, but it's okay because we're going to continue this a little bit now. Yeah, you see, you're going to have to come kick it with us for that one. That's I am. <laughs> I am. I am. You know, and only 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 petty that's you know somewhat positive, not you know malicious petty. Yes, petty, it's not not, not to purpose. tear down people or not to hurt anyone. But if you come and you are not sent for, you will be taken care of. <laughs> that that is what it is. <laughs> so so much has been going on. You know, there there is the whole blow up on social media and and in real life and real experience with um, black women at work um, yesterday. Changes and stuff that happened. I mean, it was like boom, boom, bam, bam, boom. But this is kind of like the things that we experience as sisters in these circles and stuff all day, every day, going back from when we're little on up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we were just talking, you know, last week with the things around, you know, the missing girls in BC, but also the larger issue with the lack of attention on, you know, black women and black girls and sexual assault and, and domestic violence and, and, and disappearances and things like that. Like there's just so many things on on, on so many different levels. Um, and we, we deal with, they call, you know, they're really macroaggressions, right? I don't know how micro, you know, it all is. <laughs> it's it's like a million aggressions, basically. It's like a million aggressions. <laughs> you know, it goes from micro to to macro and everything in between. And you know, I, I've always pretty much felt this way. But last year, I'm um, not last year. Last week, I hope was very significant for a lot of people because mm-hmm. we saw those thousands of women march in Washington for Women's Day with their little pussy uterus ass hats on and shit, and <laughs> Not one of those motherfuckers was rallying around or yelling or talking about these black girls who were missing in DC in a very, very short amount of time to the point where it's highly suspicious. And one thing that I have a major issue with in regards to the fact that 
are women missing are underreported. We have over 64,000 black women and girls missing right now that nobody knows where they are. So the Mm -hmm. fact that that's being underreported, but also how these things are being reported, you know, oh, well, you know, most black women aren't even looked for because it's assumed that they're runaways. You know, Mm -hmm. it's assumed that they must be, you know, into some type of miscreant behavior or already be troubled. So when you put that narrative out there about black girls and black women before you even look into what's going on, it automatically sets the tone for people not to give a fuck, for people not to care, for people to not even look or, or worry when they see it on the news, you know. Or, or keep scrolling on Facebook. It's a shame that we have to beg each other to share images of missing black girls because nobody else cares. So absolutely, I, I have no energy for the pussy hat brigade, you know, <laughs> the, the, we the just, nasty women, <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny because it's like, I need you to, if you're going to call and, and yell and hoot and holler about rem- women's rights, I need it to be, more than just making a little bit more money and being able to wear your tits out in public. Like seriously, give a fuck about other people. If, if you call yourself a proponent for women, because if not, if not, if not, don't ask us to stand beside you. Don't ask for our solidarity. Don't ask for our backbone because black women are the backbone of every fucking movement. I don't care how you position it. I don't. We are the backbone. And when it's time to stand up for us, we seem to be standing alone. So that's where I'm at in regards to that. And those <laughs> So you no, will not but, but catch me wearing so, no hat, no pussy hat. But that is so that is so real though, right? Because like, you know, back when the women's when the women's march, I don't know if you saw like my post and stuff about it, but like I, you know, talk to folks and, and, and encourage and try to like just try to just capture the stories, right? And and it seemed like people who were doing like the smaller sister marches, some of them, not all, some of them, because we actually, um, another sister and I, Corey Bush, who's an organizer, she's a nurse mom, and she ran for office um, last spring out from Missouri. We actually got on a call. She's actually a Ferguson organizer. So we got, they had brought us on a call to talk about, you know, being intersectional and diverse and stuff in their organizing. And we got hella pushback and not all white people type stuff, right? And it was so they, you know, the, the offer was for us to come back and do a longer conversation about what was problematic about that experience. And we thought about it, but then we both decided like we're not giving 90 minutes of our time for free to do this again. Like that was like it was like kind of rude because you're supposed to ask questions, you know, for suggestions. And we were both very like, you know, very demure, you know, it wasn't like we were getting there accusing people and stuff like that. So that was an interesting takeaway. But I was like, you know. You know, there are some people who are engaging doing this. So there were some people I talked to who were organizing things. They understood because they watched what happened with the national conversation. So they understood what they needed to do locally. Some. There were other people who have, um, you know, ignored or been aggravated. Like, how dare we talk about anything else besides, like you said, the pussy hats in our uterus? Like, why are we talking about all this other stuff, too? Why are we talking about trans women? Why are we talking about environment? Why are we talking about climate change? Why are we talking about fracking? Why are we... I mean, like, it, it, there's a segment of women out there who do not realize that all issues affect us, probably because they're insulated by race and class and, and, and probably sexual identity privilege, right? So they don't have to worry about, really, most of these other things 
they only worry about the intrusion into our uterus, right? So, so I, I feel you. <laughs> and you know, it, it's funny because, you know, I do have friends from all walks of life who support me in the things I say. And, you know, mm-hmm. when, when, when white women ask me and say, Hey, well, what can we do? You know, everybody's not like, you know, well, fuck all black people, this, any other. There are people who really do give a fuck because human rights are simply human rights. So there are people out there like that. But mm-hmm. like you said, I'm not going to spend a 90 minute conversation going over the same stuff that I'll go over here or go over there. I say it like this to anybody who wants to do better or help or assist. I challenge you. I challenge you to make your safe spaces uncomfortable because it's not necessarily what you do in front of me and all the black people, you know, it's Mm -hmm. what you do at the Thanksgiving table. It's what you do when you're in a room of friends and they're saying negative, ugly things about people of color. Do you speak up? Do you say, Hey, that's not a good way to, to operate or to think, you know, or that's not true. I want, if if you're going to call yourself an ally to any person of color, you need to be a disruptor. You need to be somebody who is okay with having your feelings hurt. You need to be somebody who is okay with being in uncomfortable conversations and uncomfortable situations because the history of our country is fucking uncomfortable. And if we can't have honest dialogue about the things that have got us to where we are now, we cannot expect to move forward or to have any type of support or solidarity on either side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like, let's just, I just want to stick right there for a second. So how have you like with, with, with growing up and being in Chicago and stuff, and of course, with all the things that have been happening, even in this moment, you know, that we've been in with the election and now with this administration and stuff, particularly with his obsession with Chicago, which he's kind of ignored for a while, a little while now, but, but still like, like how has, has it been, you know, for just, just in your spaces and circles and engagement and stuff, just navigating these conversations um, about how to act and, and not letting his, his histrionics overshadow work that actually needs to be done locally. Well, the thing that a lot of people don't know about uh, here in Chicago, uh, because once again, it's not publicized, is we have lots of organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, We have a lot of Mm -hmm. grassroots groups. We have a lot of people every day in the field doing the work, mentoring young people. You know, I just finished um, doing a workshop with a group of girls um, at a high school, you know, Mm -hmm. that was filled with... uh, it was it had to be about 200 women who were there mentoring girls on their women's day you know there there are there, there's going to be one for young men as well there are things all over the city people going out into the streets people helping young people people getting them off the streets there's a lot going on so it kind of bothers me that the narrative is Chicago is this wasteland. Don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong. We do have a problem. But if we're going to talk about the problem and the violence, we need to talk about how resources have been cut, how mental facilities have been closed and those people have been put on the street. We Mm -hmm. need to talk about these railroads where these trains are sitting and it's convenient that they're being broke into with all the guns because, you know, little Ray Ray down the street, he's not bringing in Uzis, but he's getting them. So... You know, we need to look at the higher ups and the mechanisms that are bringing this in. Also, Donald Trump. Well, I'm not even going to call his name. Fucking 45. This, this, (laughs) this fucktard. Like, first of all, we're not even the most dangerous city or most violent city in the country. There's like nine or ten ahead of us, first of all. Secondly, 
He understands that there's a lot of money in Chicago and business ventures, and he wants to have his hands in Chicago so mm-hmm. that he can take advantage because we're, we're going to talk about the conflict of interest of his business along with presidency. OK, mm-hmm. on top of mm-hmm. that, let's not forget this is a spiteful human being who is used to having things his way, not being challenged and in control. And Chicagoans ran him out. During the election, and he was not able to step on that stage and spew his hate here because we are a sanctuary city. And also UIC is one of the most diverse campuses in the country. So what you're not going to do is fucking come here and talk your shit. We weren't for it. So you have to understand now that he won. He he wants to kind of he wants to kind of assert his dominance, you know, like an animal would. So he he wants to. Am I wrong? No, no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. So, so kind of fucking with our city, opposed to sending resources, you know, mm-hmm. opposed to actually speaking to people who are doing the work here, not this fake ass preacher from Ohio who made up some story about the gang leaders. The real thugs. Sorry. The real thugs. What? The, real, the real thugs of <laughs> Chicago, a reality show coming, coming to a <laughs> network near you. Yo, Fuck that's here. That could work. It could totally work. We could fund a whole lottery development on the South End. But the thing is, is, you know, just like the rest of those miscreants, those deplorables, you know, they lied, told a bold-faced lie. Part of the the reason Chicago is in such a disarray because even the gangs have no leaders right now. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? There is no protocol. There used to be a street code, at least when I was young, the gangbangers would say, hey, you all need to be in when the street lights come on. There's going to be some stuff going on. Now it's chaos. It's it's yeah. doggy dog. And I'm not saying, you know, that to glorify any type of gang activity. But if we're going to be honest, our gangs started as a form of protection from police in the in the community. So yeah, we go back to the El Rukins. When you go back that far, they developed to protect our communities because we were being attacked violently by law enforcement and boys clubs, which were the white gangs here in Chicago. So once again, we can't have certain conversations if we're not going to touch on the history of how we got here. <laughs> Absolutely. Now this ain't one. Now you just made me think of something else. And I knew, <laughs> I knew I get you on here. We just start talking, but, but, but recently oh there's all this talk though about the most segregated cities, you know, based on economics, based on race, you know, Chicago is, is, is relatively high on that list. But, 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 but there's this notion that racism, that, that these things are a Southern issue. You know, the South was racist. The North was all noble. One thing I point out from like my own research and writing things I've done is that, you know, good old land of Lincoln, like, yeah, land of Lincoln, you know, the state of Illinois allowed people to rent slaves free. The free state of Illinois allowed you to re- rent slaves up to 364 <laughs> days a year, I'm 364 sorry. days Wait a, a minute. year, because after that you would. Wait a owner. minute. Yes, Wait a ma'am. Minute. Wait yes, a minute. Ma'am. Wait a minute. There's a section wait. of the transatlantic slave trade wait a minute. that I helped write. <laughs> when you can wait, like on that Martin episode where Cole was like, rid them spoons. So you mean to tell me our state, which lauded being, you know, a free place that had the, the president who was from here who freed the slaves, right? You mean to tell me they had a slave rental policy? Yeah, rent a slave. Instead of rent a center, they had rent a slave. Rent a slave? Like, what the? 
Are you yes. kidding me? So, so when you talk about the history stuff, when you talk about the way, you know, we look at the, the legislation, I mean, even with things like, you know, registering, you had to write, if you were free, if you were, if you were a free black person, you had to register. And this was in quite a few places. You had to register and you had to pay a fee. And as more and more free blacks began to migrate into Illinois, the fees went up higher. And if you could not afford to pay the fee, you were then put in jail, which meant that you were going to be, basically they sold you into slavery to pay off your debt. So even if you were free, your freedom could be taken away from you because they said so. And, you know, and, and we've seen how these things build on. It's like, oh, and everyone's always like, oh, it's old history, get over it's it. Not, it's not up. because it's why the disparity is where it's at. It's yes. why people are disenfranchised. Yes. It's why people, you know, the people who, who do have privilege, the people who do feel like they, they have earned what they've worked for when really they were born into it, you know, it's because of what was done at those levels, you know? And, and the fact that people like to ignore and act like it has nothing to do, it's usually the people who benefited and their descendants who are the ones who always want to tell you that, oh no, that's over with. But you know, Holocaust survivors get reparations. Other groups of people have gotten reparations. So why is it whenever it comes up in regards to slavery or black people, it's always like, well, you all need to get over it. And it's not like, you know, we're, we're looking for a handout. We built this country, but help some people out. Understand that poor people, most a lot of poor people are people of color because of the history. You know, even though we have opportunities now, we have to understand the history. But shit, reparations. Let everybody start off with a clean, high credit score just to have a fighting chance to, to purchase a house or purchase a vehicle or be able to do things. Forgive student loans. You know, it doesn't have to be we're passing out this or giving you that. Do some things that are going to improve or enhance the quality of life for people of color as a way as a as a tangible way of saying, you know what, we acknowledge that you have been disenfranchised for this long and we're trying to change that. Mm -hmm. It's not going to make everything mm -hmm. better, but it's a start. It's a start. So so kind of like bringing us back towards, you know, we started out talking about the black women work. We also had black women at work, you know, black women at work and black women have been cultivating. I mean, we've been involved in everything from, you know, abolitionist movements, raising our babies and masses babies, the women's suffrage movement. Even if we weren't wanted there, just just every iteration, you know, leaders in, in the civil rights movement, the black power movement, you know, all the way on down um, to now. Right. So, like, just thinking about that whole thing, black women at work, and here we have your favorite person, Rachel. She is not <laughs> Rachel. Person. Rachel transracial Dolezal. What is she? She's transracial by by bipolar. No, no, no. Uh, she's bisexual. No, not, even, not even not even that because I don't want to offend my bipolar and bisexual friends. She's Absolutely, that, that, that stuff right there. Like, Why? The, she's a liar. She's not by shit. She's a bi-liar. She'd have done it twice and more than once. She's a multi-bilingual-ass liar. That's what she is. She lies in different dialects and whatever the fuck else. You know, I, <laughs> I, I am so sick of people trying to make transracial a thing. It will never be a thing until, you know, I don't know if you saw the episode of Atlanta where, where you know, the, the black man, you know, a very he heavily, heavily melanated brother, you know, with locks, very obviously a person of color, right? And he was like, well, I've always been uh, 
on the inside, I felt like I was a, a 35-year-old white man, right? Of course, everybody falls out into laughter because it's like, ahaha, no. But if we're going to talk about Rachel, whatever the fucking African name she's going by, Dola's off. We're going to talk about her. We have to be honest and understand that unless something is afforded to everyone, mm-hmm. it can't apply. Meaning she can't claim to be transracial and benefit or deal with the, the negative stuff that comes from being a person of that race if someone of a different race can't do it. And that man or any black man or woman cannot walk down the street and, and tell an officer, hey, <laughs> I'm a white person. You have to take me in alive. Nobody's <laughs> going for that. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, my, uh, my brother can't pop up at a Klan rally and somebody be like, well, hold on there, Jimmy Bob. Uh, he identifies as white, so he's good. But the rest of these here niggas, no. No. So she doesn't get to walk around and appropriate our culture and mm-hmm. benefit from scholarships that are supposed to be for African-American students. You know, And I don't have a problem with the fact that she worked so hard for the NAACP because a lot of people don't understand the NAACP was founded yep. by white and black members. You know, so it's not about that. The issue is about the dishonesty and the tenure of continued deceit. Because if somebody can lie that long, that strong, there are other things at play. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's so egregious about this whole whole effort. It's not so much the, oh, she want to be down part. We have plenty plenty of people. We went to school with people like that, right? We friends people like that. And and, and it's like some folks be, be, not that they be down, they hard in the paint. They're really grinding and doing the work and they're living that truth because that's that's really what they they believe. And and, and as a white person in America, she very well could have occupied that space. And these issues that she claims that she wants to fight for, she could have, like you were alluding to earlier, as a white woman moving through various spaces, could have made so much more uh, impact in some ways, right? And really provided real assistance versus not just, and we talked about this last night, um, I talked about this last night with Brandon, but like not just was she pretending to be a black woman because that's how she felt. She was like an uber sister soldier, blacky black, I'ma lay your cornrows down and talk to you about Elaine Cleaver and Angela Davis, black woman, right? Like, like, like she, 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 she was acting like she was a side of Shakur <laughs> out in the Pacific Northwest. And that was what was so, she was playing a caricature of a type. She was, of, she was playing a caricature. She, yes. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, people talked about how it's like, she wore us, you know, and, 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 and it's, it's absolutely aggravating that she's working the circuit. She got her book deal and stuff like that, that she's out here doing this stuff. And it's just like sisters who actually live these experiences, who actually are doing the work have to fight to get the same access to the same platform. That was the whole big, you know, debacle and falling out with Charlemagne and Trevor Noah and them over there. Oh, poo-pooing around Tommy Lahren stuff. Like how like they weren't, you know, they'll lift up somebody like that knucklehead, but but no one's willing or very few people are really willing to, to to lay out the platform and give opportunity to black women, to Latina women. And it's in the same to, to black Latina women, too. Like, like 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 we have to struggle for that same space that these people can just put on their costume. And have access to. Okay. Like <laughs> I, my one of one of one of the things I have an issue with is, is if she knows black women so deep, 
and she's so down, then the whole complaining on national TV and in interviews and, oh, mm-hmm. I feel so attacked. Mm-hmm. Because now she's doing the white girl thing. She's doing the, oh, I'm being attacked. I'm hurt. I'm going to cry now. Everybody feel sorry for me. Help me. Black women, we have gone through hell and back. And we we are forced. We're not allowed to be sad. We're not allowed to have mental issues. We're not allowed. It's always you're bitter. You're angry. You're this. And if she really embraced what it is to be a black woman, she wouldn't be putting herself out here like this. She wouldn't still be trying to capitalize. And once again, I would have had no problem if she was like, you know what? I love black culture. I identify most with black people. I feel more at home. I'm treated kinder. I I, I support and believe this is, I like my hair like this. I like, if she did that, that's fine. But pretending to be something you're not. That young man, I don't recall his name, but that young man who was pretending to be a doctor and he was highly intelligent. And then he was mm-hmm. pretending to do something else, highly intelligent. He could have got away with it and everything, right? So why was he dealt with differently than her? There's still lies, right? There's still mm-hmm. people pretending to be something they're not that affects other lives. And the issue that I also have with her is she knows that pretending to be black afforded her entrance into certain safe spaces that we might not let other people into certain conversations that we might not normally share or feel comfortable talking about. And she manipulated people and she got people to feel endeared towards her. And, and it was malicious because when you, when you are wearing a mask and the person doesn't know who they're talking to, that's insidious. I don't care what your intent is. It's insidious. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just thinking about, you know, again, talking about black women at work, what we go through. And again, this is not to say this is not one of those like moments. And and I I think we're finally getting to the point where allies, comrades, I hate the term allies. I prefer like comrades, conferences, like something that sounds like you actually in this with me. Right. (laughs) Like, like Max always says, so, so, so we both have these wonderkin, you know, teen boys. Um, so Max's thing is like, he likes the World War II movies and stuff like that. I don't know if people, he might not still be into, but anyway, he said to me once about allies, he's like, you know, I can kind of see why you don't like that term. Because think about World War II, mommy. We were allies. <laughs> when did we fight when somebody hit us? I mean, we didn't, we we wasn't, we, we, we gave people some guns and stuff, but we wasn't getting our hands too dirty. I, I looked right. at him. He was like, right. I don't need friends like that. I thought that was a very interesting takeaway. <laughs> profound. It, it's <laughs> profound. Because, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily call into question a person's level of accountability. All it says is, well, call me if you need me, maybe mm-hmm. if I'm available, mm-hmm. possibly, you know, so mm, I don't quite know what terminology I feel most comfortable with, but, you know, basically just people, people who give a fuck. How about that? That can be people our who new give a fuck. people who give. I'm, we don't have to say allies anymore. Let's just say, oh, yeah, she's cool. She gives a fuck because there's no there's no mixing that up. Whether you're white or black, do you give a fuck or not? Okay, well, I'm rolling with the people who give a fuck and give a fuck about the stuff that's affecting me and other human beings of color. So, yeah. Absolutely. Fuck allies. We rolling with the people who give a fuck. <laughs> if you if you are someone who gives a fuck, we cool. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> you a damn fool. 
Can you imagine being in homeroom with this woman? <laughs> it was it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Oh Lord, it was it was it was something. It was something. But um, it was you know here we are now. Um, so so as we you know this is this is going by real quick. But as we're closing out and stuff like that, just any just thoughts, anything you want to share? I mean about your work writing with Ebony, just, just, just things that are going on right now. Um, well, as you know, I do, I am a contributor for Ebony and Jet, uh, online magazine. Um, I also blog for Chicago now. I am working. I said Chicago a- reader, Chicago now. <laughs> Chicago now. I maybe maybe I Chicago. need to hit the reader up too. <laughs> <laughs> I said the reader, Chicago now. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Chicago now. And, um, some other publications have reached out. Um, Come here. Oh, now you don't want to just say hello. Hi, okay. Rose. <laughs> he wanted to. That's be. like the dopest twelve-year-old ever. <laughs> no. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I am uh, working on a book. So you know, aside from that, you know, just okay. staying busy and that little dude right there. But yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's beautiful though. I mean, and, and just as we we end on a high note, I mean, you know, we we build out our work, we touch the world how we can, where we can, and we raise these kids of ours <laughs> to be good human beings, people who give a fuck. <laughs> people who give a fuck. Can I can I say one last thing? Yeah, go ahead. I, I feel like you know whether you're famous or a star or whether you're just somebody who lives down the street. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has a platform. Everybody can make an impact and a difference, mm-hmm. even if it's just a matter of saying hello to a young person that you walk down the street past because you never know what people are going through. So, you know, everybody, please keep that in mind. Be good to people and, and also give a fuck, you know, give a fuck about these missing girls. Give a fuck about black women having to be disrespected with microaggressions every damn day that they leave the house at work. You know, give a fuck that our leaders are constantly being attacked. Maxine Waters attacked. You know, um, what's her name? Uh, April Ryan. She she's she is she is a twenty six year plus journalist journal journalist, right? And she was spoken to like a five year old in a press conference by someone her junior. You know, give a fuck. Give a fuck about our issues. Give a fuck about what's going on. The home training too, right? Because what? Because we was taught you don't you don't. Like I and then people are like, oh, that's respectability. No, we were taught about this basic respect, particularly when you talk okay. to elders. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to like what you're saying, but I will be respectful in how I'm going to address you and deal with you. Now, if, if some really random weird occurrence happens and we got a scrap, that's a whole other story. But <laughs> as the first contact, you know, first <laughs> engagement, this is what we're gonna do. And the mere shaking of her head did not nowhere near yeah, how, that response. How dare, how dare him say? Stop shaking your head again. I'm sorry, what? You know, that was completely out of order. And and this is, people got to see just a small amount, but that's how Black women are talked to all the time in their professions, by mm-hmm. subordinates, by superiors, by peers, all of that. And if we say something, we're too bitter and loud and brash. If we don't say anything, we're cold and detached. You can't win either way. So, you know, Give a fuck. Give a fuck. Well, (laughs) um, 
I'm going to close out with my quote because I really don't even have anything more to add after that. Thank you so much, dear sister. We definitely have to do this again. I love um, you. I love you too. Check so her proud out of on you. Twitter. I'm proud of you as well. Yay. I'm barely to- on Twitter. So go, go okay, on Facebook. Okay, go on Facebook. Page. It's, it's the Boom Show. It's the Boom Show or Nefer Kerr. Or Instagram. Our Instagram at It's The Boom Show. And everybody calls me Boom. Don't worry about trying to pronounce the whole African name. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't need that mangled. Thanks. Boom works. Boom works fine. <laughs> so I'm closing out with a quote from one of my favorite books, The Alchemist. Um, and I think this rings true for all of us. And I really think as we're in this, this, this space, as we're moving through these progressive movement building processes and having these conversations and going to meetings and really beginning to engage, we need to start building with people and, 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 and letting our light shine and helping to, you know, you got to decompress and have, you know, good conversations like this and then go out there and do the work. Also have, you know, your good downtime, have your good conversations and then, and then do it all over again. Um, but, but this is one of my favorite quotes. When a person really desires something, all the universe conspires to help that person to realize his dream or hers or ours. I really do believe that's true. So when we all work together, when we all build it together and, and nurture it and grow it and maintain it, it will last and become something great, lasting, wonderful, and worth protecting. This has been with the way of Noah. I was joined by the queen of fire and ice, slayer of online trolls, protector of the realm, Miss Firstborn Nefer- of her line. No, first of her name, Nefer- of her name. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. And we're we're out. Night, everybody. Bye.